Hey, welcome to Battle Creek Church. This is Pastor Keith at South Tulsa. So glad that you're here today. And I can't wait to give you a tour of everything that's going on here in our church, right? We're all in together making this happen to reach more people in South Tulsa and all of our areas across this great community. You know, and it makes me that much more grateful to know that what is happening here in this place is because of what you're doing in your place. I can remember the very first time that I came to Battle Creek Church. And I remember Pastor Alex saying, listen, this is a church for future generations. Guess what's happened to me in the last 15, 20 years? There is a third generation of my family. My granddaughter is gonna be in this space. How excited am I for seeing my granddaughter know that she's gonna be here. Thank you. Would all of you at all of our campuses congratulate our South Tulsa campus today? Today they're opening this brand new children's building uh, that we've been building for over a year uh, at that campus. Congratulations, and we look forward to seeing all that God is going to do at, at our South Tulsa campus. It just makes a statement that Battle Creek cares about kids and cares about that it's not the next generation, it's the now generation that they are leading. They're leading their friends right now to Jesus. And this space just excites them and even ignites them to do that even more. Oh my gosh, today is the first day of the kids building being open and I'm so excited. To see these kids lit up, to see these volunteers lit up and so on fire for what we're doing, like it's, it's just, it's so cool. We started the giving and then watching the foundation watching the, the beams go up and just turning into this has been the best journey, especially as a dad. I could not be more excited. And uh, listen, their memory of church was, should be from the very first part of their life. Church is fun. Church is that place that I want to go and I want to be a part of. And this is part of that space that accomplishes that. And, and the people driving up and down 91st Street, they're going to look through those windows and they're going to see a place that they want to come to and be a part of. I can't help but celebrate God's goodness and faithfulness when I watch a, a video like that. For almost a decade, we've dreamed about improving uh, that children's space at, at the South uh, Tulsa campus to allow us a greater opportunity to share Jesus and the gospel uh, with children. And, and last week, our first day of opening that, we saw three children in that building give their lives to Jesus Christ. And uh, that's in the DNA now uh, of that facility, and I believe that's a small taste of all that God is going to do uh, at South Tulsa Camps in the years to uh, come. And this is just one example uh, of the many, many things, big and small, that God has done uh, through us as we've gone in, uh, all in, together for Jesus Christ. And this journey has been primarily about our discipleship right? About us, 100% of us going all in uh, with our Lord and Savior. In fact, four weeks from today, uh, we're going to celebrate all that God has done over the last two years through our all in, uh, in both big and small ways. That's also a day for you to give big on that day, and, and we're going to celebrate that. So mark your calendar four weeks from uh, today. And before we jump into our content, if you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I need to make one more announcement today uh, that the Israel trip that we were going to do in a few weeks in January is going to be delayed a year. 
to January 2025, okay? And so uh, for obvious reasons, uh, because of what's going on over there today. So we're going to delay that trip, but we're going to pivot uh, this January and spontaneously, we're going to do a Steps of Paul trip in beautiful Greece. And so if you've ever wanted to do the Paul trips, and, and so I, I just want to, you can sign up at battlecreekchurch.com forward slash trips. That's January 9th through the 18th. Uh, there's no time for you to get a passport. So if you don't have a passport, you cannot go uh, this time. But, but you should have a passport, so go ahead and get one in case God calls you to go somewhere in, in the future. But if you do have a passport, you want to sign up to go with us, you can do that. Uh, it, it's going to fill up fast, and that trip is very, very close. And so you need to uh, do that soon. I want us to pray together. As we jump into this last series in the book of Hebrews, we're going to spend uh, the next four weeks in the month of November wrapping up this series in the book of Hebrews. And I want to ask you if you would, uh, if you're able, would you just take a knee right where you are at your chair? If you're not able, just bow your heart before the Lord and and let's surrender and submit ourselves to him as we turn into the application part uh, of the book of Hebrews. And, And would you just in your own words say, Lord, apply your word to my heart today. And as you apply your word to my heart, would you make my heart uh, teachable and and, uh, surrendered to you, pliable uh, in in the potter's hands? And so, Father, today as a church, we submit to you and we surrender to you. And we thank you that the living word of God is going to change our lives today. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we pray today that he would move with great freedom in all of our campuses, among all of our people. And today that, Father, you would have your way in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say Amen and amen. And if you haven't been with us uh, over the last several months, we've been walking through the book of Hebrews and we're closing in on the end of this series in Hebrews. And and during November, uh, we're going to look at the last four chapters of the book of Hebrews. So you can read ahead. And if you're joining us today, go ahead and read the whole book, but read the last four uh, chapters. They're really the application of the whole book uh, of Hebrews. And and a letter, uh, typically you would have a greeting, right? And the greeting usually would include a prayer, and then you would have some issue throughout the body of the letter that is being dealt with or needs to be resolved. And then the writer would wrap it up with a therefore or an and so, which is exactly what we have in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. He comes to this place and he says, and so. I've taught you before, when you see a therefore in Scripture, you ask, what's it therefore? The same thing is true with an and so. It's a marker. The writer has given us a marker, and he's saying, now that I've said all of this stuff, in light of all of this that we've covered, here's what you need to do with what we've talked about. Here's how you put into practice all that we've learned. This is where the rubber meets the road, and you get moving. And the reason we can do that is because everything has changed. That's what we're calling these last four weeks in Hebrew. This changes everything. This knowledge, this belief, this idea that Jesus is better, that he is our great high priest, this understanding of the shadows uh, that we find in the Old Testament sacrifices and the shadows that we find in the temple, all of it, it actually changes everything. Why? Because it shows us who Jesus is. It shows us what he has accomplished. And because of that, everything else 
changes. That means you cannot uh, be the same after you come to Christ. You can't take all of this knowledge and just, you know, bolt it on to your current life. There will be a marked difference in your life if you truly grasp and understand and take in all that we've been talking about. And and this passage that we're going to look at today, the whole thing is just one sentence, by the way. He's going to deal with one uh, sentence. Look at what he says. And so, dear brothers and sisters. Now, every time the writer of Hebrews comes to that phrase, dear brothers and sisters, he starts with this great line here. The writer uses this phrase whenever he wants to grab our attention. And he's trying to catch our attention and uh, to get us to continue acting out our faith. And it's like a marker. It's like when you use your mom voice, right, or, or, or your dad voice. That's what the writer is doing. But it's a reminder also that we are a part of the body of Christ. Now, we looked at this in chapters Uh, chapter 2 of the book of Hebrews. And if you want to go back and review it, it's chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 17. And the writer establishes in chapter 2 that Jesus Christ is our brother. And then he turns the corner in chapter 3, if you'll remember, and he calls us brothers and sisters again. And and there he says, brothers and sisters, and he uses that marker to, to say, I want you to be careful to turn from evil and turn to God. He's going to use it again in chapter 13. Uh, we'll look at it in a few weeks. But, but there he tells us, hey, brothers and sisters, love each other. Keep loving each other. Keep helping each other. Keep encouraging one another. Keep uh, holding out for hope uh, for each other. And, and so this phrase, brothers and sisters, it's a bond. It shows us that we are glued together in Christ. In other words, it is unnatural for for the body of Christ to be separated. So in light of all of this theology we've covered for nine chapters, and in light of the fact that we are in the family of God, look look at what he says. And so, uh, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Now, I want you to circle that word enter in your Bible and know that that is in the present tense, which means it's a present action with an ongoing implication, okay? A present action with an ongoing implication. And what's the implication? The door's open, right? The the door is open and it will stay open. It is not shut. It will always be open. What Christ did with his death, burial, and resurrection is nail the door open, Okay, look, look, let's keep reading uh, and see what else he says here in verse 20. By his death, Jesus opened a uh, new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place, through the curtain. We've talked about the curtain many times before. It's thick. It's big. It's four inches thick. It's 60 feet by 30 feet. And it separated the most holy place from the rest of the temple. And only one high priest, and at that, only once a year, uh, could go in, right? And when Jesus gave his life on the cross, something happened. The ground shook. The sun went dark. And the curtain ripped. It ripped from top to bottom. Meaning someone took a hold of it and tore it into two. That someone was God was your heavenly father. And the application of which is when that curtain ripped open, we gained access to God himself. And this verb uh, opened 
Jesus opened uh, can mean uh, put into effect like an inauguration, right? Like the starting of a business or the starting of a company. It was opened. But it can also mean to consecrate or to dedicate, which is exactly what Solomon did when he built the temple in 2 Chronicles. But, but I want you to think about that illustration for a second. When Solomon dedicated that temple, he offered sacrifices, plural, right? In fact, it says that he sacrificed so many animals, they lost count of how many animals, hundreds, thousands, quite honestly, of sheep and goat and, and cattle. And over and over and over again, they did that in one day. And then again, day by day, and then again, year after year, over and over again. And, and earlier we said that enter is in the present tense, meaning it is a present action with an ongoing implication. But, but this word opened in the Greek is in the aorist tense, okay? Best way I know how to tell you what that is in English is past tense with a future ongoing implication. Past tense, right? Past tense with a future and ongoing implication. That means it doesn't have to keep happening over and over again. We can continue to enter, continually enter, why? Because of what Jesus has done once, because of what Christ did once. When Jesus dedicated this house of God, there was one sacrifice, only one. His death by his blood from his body, just one. And after that, it it, it is done. It's over. It's completed. It is a completed action that changes everything. And now that it's changed, you and I can live a better life, right? And and so let's keep reading in verse 21 and, and see what he says. Look what he says in verse 21. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house. Now that, that word in the Greek for God's house, it can mean temple, like you and I would think of the temple. But here it actually has another meaning. It doesn't mean the temple. It means the people of God. It means you and me. It means us coming together, the assembly. It is all of us. It is not the South Tulsa Children's Building. It's not the Jinx Building. It's not this building. It is all of us coming together. Now the writer is going to give us the imperatives, okay, the commands, some things that you and I are supposed to do now. But before he gives us the commands, he reminds us of the two reasons. For all of these commands, and we've studied this for months, but I want you to hear them again, the two reasons. Number one, we have access, and number two, we have a great high priest. We have access, we have a 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 priest. And because we have access, and because we have a priest, we can and should do these three things that he's about to lay out for us. Now, let's keep reading verse 22 and see what they are. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. In other words, we have access, so let's use it. We have access, so let's go to God. Remember, in the Old Testament, you couldn't get close to God. Not like the high priest did. You you needed an intermediary, right? You needed a go-between. You couldn't just call him up. You had to go through his answering uh, service. And and, uh, Jesus, the true high priest. Now listen, I want you to think of the implications of this. Because we missed this. There was a whole reformation where people died for this truth. Lots of people died for this truth. And we kind of gloss over it today. If Jesus is the true high priest, 
That means the only priesthood that exists today is the priesthood of the believer. Big application. You say, well, you're talking about my family. I know that. Well, they're good people. I know that. But if this is true, there's only one priesthood that remains, and it is the priesthood of the believer. And I grew up in that system that says opposite, where I could go into a booth with a man and a collar to resolve my own sin. And and listen, if you want a system, that's a great system. But Jesus bypassed the whole system. And here's the first imperative. I want you to look at it, that, that we are to go or get close to God through faith. Let's nestle up to God. Let's get personal with God. Let's lay our head on his chest. Let's get intimate with a God who wants to get intimate with us. He already knows all about us. He wants us to know all about him. And and, and so it, it requires, by the way, sincere hearts that fully trust him. You want to get really close to God, it requires a sincere heart that fully trusts Him. Now, let's keep reading verse 22. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now, this this, uh, verb right here, to go right in or to go right into... Some of your Bibles, you're reading in your Bible, it doesn't say, let's go right in. It says, draw near. Same word, but it's in the present tense, meaning it's an ongoing and repeated action. It is something we do over and over and over again. We draw near again and again and again. But these words, sprinkled and washed, are in the perfect tense, which means completed. They're completed. It's done. It's already done for you. And because it's done, completed, sprinkled and washed, we enter. We go right into and draw near over and over and over again. And when you accept Jesus by faith, That's only done once in in your whole life, right? The writer goes to point out some very important truths here. First of all, our consciences have been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. By the way, that does not mean what you think it means in English. It's just sprinkled. That's not what that Greek word means. It's not like putting a few sprinkles on a Sunday. It's not getting caught out in a little rain sprinkle. The word literally means to cleanse. It means cleansed. When you are saved, there is this inner transformation that happens that takes place in you. The prophets call it the circumcision of the heart. Literally what they talk about is God taking our old stony hearts out and exchanging them for soft, sincere hearts. Sincere means you can feel God. It means you're not closed off to God. And then what? Not just sprinkled. We have been washed, 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 washed. That's a picture of what? It's a picture of New Testament baptism. Baptism is an outward picture of an inner reality. Baptism does not save you. You were already saved on the inside. Baptism lets the world know you are saved. 
that you have been changed on the inside. So now everything is going to change on the outside. Baptism is the act of trusting God. What what do I mean by that, right? Do do I mean you have to trust God not to drown? No, that's not what I mean. What, what, What I mean is that baptism is your first act of obedience as a believer. And when you do that, what you're saying is, God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you enough to do this one thing, albeit how silly it may look in my own eyes. So now he knows you trust him to obey him. Look, look you, if you aren't baptized, it doesn't mean that you aren't saved. But listen to me. If you ever desire to get closer to God, but you're putting off that first act of obedience, there is a roadblock that exists that is keeping you from going all in with him. In fact, today, we're going to give you the opportunity to spontaneously remedy that. In fact, I'll tell you one awesome story. We'll we'll tell this story sometime in in the future via video. But but a lady named Judy, who has been, uh, was turned on to our church by her brother who attends our church locally. She lives in the backwoods, the mountains of Colorado, where there are no churches. So for the last three years, she's been watching our church online, gave her life to Christ while watching online, and flew to Tulsa last week to be baptized right right out here uh, and, and follow the Lord in believer's baptism. In fact, let me just go ahead and announce, some of you are like, were you going to talk about last week? Yes, I'm going to talk about last week. Last week across our six campuses, 117 men and women and boys and girls trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 117 people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ last week. In fact, on Tuesday night at our young adults thing at the Canes Ballroom, 782 young people gathered to worship Jesus and 52 of them gave their life to Jesus Christ on Tuesday night. On Wednesday night and across our student ministers, we saw another three teenagers give their lives to Jesus Christ. I hope you see what's happening. Like I'm watching our staff's Facebooks and Instagram and all that, and it is day by day by day, just like Acts. Daily, God is adding to our numbers. And some of those people today are going to follow the Lord in baptism. If you're one of those people who's recently given your life to Christ, today we're going to give you an opportunity to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You took the first step maybe last week. Take the next step today. But many of you accepted Christ. You took that step a while ago. And for whatever reason, you're balking at that. And you're asking the question, why would I need to take the next step of baptism? Let, Let me just give you the rundown real quick of what baptism is. Pretend this is the top of the water, okay? This is you in the water. When you go under the water, that's your burial, right? That's you dying to yourself. When you come out of the water, that's the picture of your new birth. That's why we say raised to new life when we bring you out of the water. Now take a look at this again. You go down your burial. You come up, you're raised to new life. What is this a picture of? cross. It's a picture of the cross. This is a picture of you identifying your new life with Christ's life. This is a picture of the cross where you immediately identify with Jesus Christ, which is the whole point of the gospel message, is for you and I to identify with Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is all about. And in our previous life, we we lived our life saying no to God and yes to ourselves, right? 
And Jesus comes along and dies in our place and says yes to us so that we can be raised from the dead and live with him forever. And that yes from Jesus has made all the difference for so many of us. And now he's giving us this simple opportunity to say yes to him. To identify with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And when you got good news, you want to tell everyone about it, right? And so some of you have hesitated because you're scared or you're afraid. Can I promise you, you're you're not the first to be afraid or scared. Or or maybe you're like me. You You were baptized as a child before you gave your life to Christ. And I'm not saying that that didn't matter. I'm just saying it's out of order. And today could be your opportunity to place it in the right order. But, but some of you have hesitated to say yes because it's inconvenient. Today it actually could not be more convenient for you. We have a change of clothes for you, towels, hair dryers, etc., This will probably be the most convenient baptism opportunity you will ever experience. I hesitated on that one a little bit. Like I was like, let's just go outside in the cold water somewhere and make it not quite so convenient. But we're going to do it in heated water at all of our campuses today. (laughs) Jesus walked 60 miles in sandals to get baptized. We have a tank that's heated and filtered and clean and, and convenient for you. And so at all of our campuses, would you bow your heads and close your eyes and respond to the call of the Holy Spirit on your life? And just so I know who we're praying for at every single campus as the the campus pastors just come up on the stage. If you're here today at one of our campuses with nobody looking and you would say, Pastor Alex, that's me. I've trusted Jesus either recently or a while ago. And I've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. I need to take that step. Would you just raise your hand and let me see it all across all of our auditoriums. Just raise your hand. Every single auditorium. Thank you. Anybody else here at BA, just raise your hand. Raise your hand high so that we can find you. In the chapel, would you just raise your hand high so that we can find you? At South Tulsa, raise your hand. At Midtown, at Downtown, at at, at Owasso, at Jinx, and uh, South Tulsa, at all of our campuses today, would you just raise your hand? And say, that's my step. I need to take that step today. Anybody else, just just raise your hand. And I just want to pray for you. There's a few hands here in the room today. I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray today for every man, woman, boy, and girl under the sound of my voice. Across all of our campuses today, that today they would obey you. They would take that step to follow you in believer's baptism. And I pray, Father, as they meet with someone and pray with someone and, and, and are counseled by someone, that, Father, you would just do a work of, of faith in their lives. We trust you to do that across all of our campuses today in the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, hey, Pastor Alex, mine is out of order. I was baptized as a child, but since then I've given my life to Christ. Would you pray for me also? Would you just slip your hand up if that's you? My baptism is out of order. Just raise your hand at every single campus, okay? Okay, okay. 
Now, here, here's what I want you to do. If you just raise your hand at all of our campuses, would you just look up at me or look up at your campus pastor? Ma'am, right here, I, I see you. Wave your hand at me so that I can find you. I saw a couple over here. I see a ma'am right here. I see sir right here. Ma'am right here beside him. Anybody else? If you just raised your hand at all of our campuses, would you just stand up real quick? Everybody else, your head's bowed and eyes closed. And if somebody came with you or somebody brought you, then I just want you to, to grab them, okay? Grab your purse, grab your Bible, grab whatever you have. And I just want you to make your way here, right here to these pastors. And I want them just to pray with you for a minute, talk to you for a minute, and, and give you an opportunity to, to solve this if you would like to today, okay? And so before we say amen, before everybody else looks up, would you just say, excuse me, step out into the aisle, grab your stuff. If somebody came with you, just say, would you go with me? And, and as these are making their way, let's just not look yet, but let's celebrate what the Lord is doing in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Father, I pray across all of our campuses today, you're moving through acts of obedience in the hearts of your children. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and, and amen. Now let's go back to this text, okay? While they're being talked to and prayed with, let's go back to the text. Because this is an interesting word, actually, in, in my mind, that, that the writer uses this word right here, sincere hearts. It's also used by Jesus Christ, right out of his mouth, that word. Over in Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says it's the pure in heart that will see God. Same word. The sincere in heart will see God. In other words, they're so close to God, they can see him. What a beautiful picture. See, in the Old Testament, God had to hide from us. We couldn't see him without being wiped off the face of planet Earth, right? But now, because of what Jesus has done, we can see him. He wants us to see him in all of his glory. And through faith, we can get closer and closer and closer and closer to him, understanding him, fully believing in him. And the first thing we do is get close to God through faith. Next thing we do, let's keep reading verse 23. Uh, as we just keep moving on, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope uh, that we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises. Meaning what? The second thing that we're to do is let's hold tight to hope. Let's hold tight to hope. This uh, verb that's translated, let us hold tightly, is literally take hold. It's a command. Take hold of it. The, the word does not mean hold it in your hand. It means to take a hold of it, to take possession of it, to own it. What, what's it? It is hope, right? We're, we're going to hold tightly to hope. Hope, by the way, is an uncomfortable project at times. Because being hopeful, biblically, is not driven by our circumstances. It's driven by the theology that we have studied for the last couple of months. It's driven by the fact that Jesus is better, that we have a great high priest. He has done the one thing that we couldn't so that we can give him 
all of ourselves so that he can give us all of himself, all that he wants us to have. That does not waver when you get a bad call from the doctor. It does not waver when you get a bad letter in the mail or one bad conversation with your boss at work. No matter what, take a hold of hope. Why? Because of who Jesus Christ is. That The key here, by the way, is that we would affirm the hope that we affirm. That, that word affirm is the same word in English that we translate confess that we're going to confess it. Homo logos. We're going to say the same words. We're going to confess it. That's what we do when we get together, right? We get close to God and we confess with our mouths our hope in him. We confess that he is God. We are his children. And because of that, we confess his love for us. We confess that he cares uh, for us. He wants us to have all that he has promised to us. So we confess it with our mouths. That means you do it with your mouth. That's why we spend so much time on so many words in in, in this place, right? We want to make sure the words of each song matter. We want to make sure that that they are speaking truth and hope to us. We want to make sure they line up with biblical uh, truths. We want to make sure that each word that is spoken in a message is from God. We spend hours and hours, man hours and man hours every week, literally hours. You may not believe that when you hear me talk, but we do. We spend hours of time going over the words that will be preached, whether it's me or a campus pastor or a guest uh, speaker to make sure of what? To make sure they're right or to make sure that they don't upset anyone? Absolutely not. To make sure they're accurate with what God is saying. To make sure that they agree with the Holy Spirit of God. To make sure that they exalt Jesus Christ. Christ. That's what we're doing, right? What, what we hear and what we say matters. What we do in this place is not just taking up part of your week and, and taking up time. We are dispensing hope. We're handing out hope every single week, every Sunday. Why? So that you can wake up Monday ready to go, refreshed and recharged. Not not just so that you can make it through the next week, but so that you can continue to confess and affirm all week long the hope that is yours in Jesus Christ throughout all of your week so that when you come back here next week, you're not weak. This place matters. Coming together matters. Let's keep reading at what he says. Look at verse 24. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and and to good works. We come together, we get close through faith, we hold tight to hope, and and then number three, let us keep on caring in love. And by the way, the best way to affirm hope is by uh, affirming each other. That's the best way to do it. The the best way to solidify your love for God is by loving each other. The best way to hold on to hope is by holding out grace to each other. This word, uh, this verb that is translated, let us think, let, let us think, that doesn't mean to ponder. It doesn't mean to ideate, right? It doesn't mean to brainstorm. It doesn't mean throwing darts at a wall. It's, it's more than that. That word means to be concerned. It means thinking about others more than yourself. It means really putting in the effort and to come up with ways to help each other. The word literally uh, means to to work at it, to create effort. This word, uh, to motivate, is so interesting because that word means to sharpen or to irritate. That's what that word means. 
It's only used one other time in the whole New Testament. It's in Acts 15, uh, verse 39, where Paul and Barnabas get into a sharp disagreement. That's why this word is so weird. It's like he's saying you're to love each other so much that you annoy them. I got that one down. (laughs) Right? It's to make someone mad in the way that you love them unconditionally. To really get in someone's face about how much you care for them. Look, look, Look at verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. In other words, stop the habit of missing out. That should not be the habit in the life of a believer. Get into the habit of meeting together. This whole passage, remember this whole passage, the overarching idea of this whole passage is about the day of the Lord's return. And the overarching idea of this book is about, hey, you Hebrew Christians who are stuck in Jerusalem, the Roman army is coming. It is on its way to kill you. Your city is going to be burned down. Your temple is going to be destroyed. Most of you will not make it out alive. And now on top of all of that, you've got friends and relatives telling you, give up. They want you to renounce your faith in Jesus. They want you to turn away from Jesus and back to religion. You know the question I've been asked in the last month more than every other question combined? Say, Pastor, so what's happening in Israel? Is this the end? Are are these the end times? And, And the answer to that question is obviously, I don't know. Jesus doesn't know. So anytime you find somebody who says they know, then they're claiming they know more than Jesus Christ. He doesn't know. Only the Father knows. But we know some of the signs. In Ezekiel 38, it says that the armies Persia and Gog of Magog, which scholars have translated for hundreds, if not thousands of years, Russia, will come from the north and will invade. Okay, so that's not happening today. This is happening in the south. They're coming from the south. So it doesn't look like it, but it, could it turn? Of course. You paying attention to Hezbollah and what, what's happening? If it comes from the north, then it's a little more interesting, isn't it? It also says that uh, Israel will be abandoned and no one will stand with them. That's not true today. We have two aircraft carriers from the United States of America in, in the water near there. So if we back out and leave Israel all to its own, and if it comes from the north, then I would pay a whole lot more attention. I wish I had time to diatribe on this for a minute. But here's what I want you to hear. Between Ezekiel 38 and 39, we're raptured. And if you don't believe that, you're wrong. And, and, and so, I'm not sure if it's the sign of the end, but, but you know what I am sure of? We are in the last days. That's been true for a long time. And this is a moment where we as a church are to be bolder and bolder, not mean, bolder than ever. 
And you may feel comfortable in middle America uh, that, that your reality doesn't look like the reality behind the Hebrews that we've been reading about all semester long. You, you don't feel like people are breathing down your neck. You better hear me. Make no mistake about it. You have a very real enemy who wants to take you out. Do you know what the last words of Jesus in the Bible are? They're not the Great Commission. They're not found in the Gospels. In fact, they're found over in the book of Revelation. If you have a red-letter Bible, you just flip through the book. What are the last red letters? And it's Jesus saying, yay, I'm coming quickly. That's what he leaves us with. And church, listen, if he is coming back, and he is, then we should be about his business. And as we said today... If he's coming back, I will draw near to God. If he's coming back, I will hold tightly to hope. If he's coming back, I will keep on in love, motivating others. 